0: The world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. The following is an interview of the late Professor Muhammad Arkun on Belgian TV. The interview is from the early 1990s, however, the listener will quickly realize that the important points raised in the discussion are still highly relevant to our world today. For most of his prestigious academic career, Muhammad Arkoun was professor of the History of Islamic Thought at the Sorbonne University in Paris, France. He also held teaching positions at a number of universities around the world.
1: Who is indeed better than you to enlighten us on this
0: Islam to which you devoted all your life, first as Muslim and then as Islamologist, as witnessed by the titles of your main books, Essays on Islamic Thought, For a Critique of Islamic Reason, Islam, Morals and Politics, Islam Yesterday, Tomorrow with Louis Gardet, in addition to Overtures of on Islam. You are today, without any doubt, one of the most prominent experts in the world of this Islam that intrigues some and worries others. You do not only teach in Paris, where you work as professor of Islamic thought at the Sorbonne, you also teach at a number of universities in Europe, the Arab world, and the United States. All this makes the French of Algerian origins that you are a man of synthesis, a man at the crossroads. Muhammad Arkun, it is now for you to rewrite in your own way the name of this program. Asma' Allah.
1: Muhammad Arkun, clarify for us. This is the first time that we
0: write an Arabic title for this program. How do we say exactly in Arabic the names of God? Asma' Allah, and we usually add the adjective al-husna, which means the most beautiful, because the names of God can only represent beauty. And beauty moves and awakens human desire, the human spiritual desire, the human desire for truth, the human desire for the absolute. And And I already pronounced here a number of these names names that came to animate not only piety but also meditation and intellectual reflection in the Islamic tradition.
1: If I'm not mistaken, there are in the
0: Quran 99 names to designate God, the most beautiful names. Let me cite a few from the Encyclopedic Dictionary of Islam. The beneficent, the wise, the merciful, the the eternal, the just, the omniscient, the powerful, the generous, the noble, the magnanimous, the magnificent, the glorious, but it is the same God, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a whole discussion in Muslim theology to establish whether these names were qualifiers to designate the one God or whether they were eternal attributes of God, co-eternal with God. This theological problem, which I only mention in passing, has the ramification that the names of God allow one to have access to the absolute of God. This is related to what Muslims testify when they say Allahu Akbar, for example. This is commonly translated as God is greatest, which is a very simplistic translation in my opinion. In reality, this expression ought to occur each time that the human being speaks about a particular subject in order to say, that for everything that the human being expresses in his thought, his culture, and his existence, there is a beyond to what he says. Allahu Akbar is then in reference to the beyond of everything. This is the best translation that introduces us to infinite space. We are in theology, but also in the realities of everyday life. Absolutely, and that is why I wrote two expressions. The other expression is the expression, Bismillah, in the name of God, which is indeed repeated in all the actions of everyday life. For instance, when one is about to have a meal, before taking the first bite, one must say, in the name of God.
1: For example, avant de
0: cette émission, For example before starting this, this program, you could, could have pronounced it.
1: Normally, yes. I
0: should have said in the beginning, Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Bismillah, in the name of God. And the complete formula which is used at the beginning of each chapter of the Qur'an is Bismillah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the Clement, the Merciful which means that we add two of the richest attributes of God in the eyes of the faithful, clemency and mercy. This is related to the perspective according to which the human condition is fragile. There is the sinful human condition on one hand, and on the other hand, there is the God who forgives, the God who is receptive, the God who helps, the God who Last is the constant and perpetual constant, solicitude vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis the human being. This means, this if I have understood well, that all the actions of everyday life are in devotion to of God. This is This is indeed a characteristic of Islam generally, and Islam as a spirituality in particular. It is the experience of the divine. It is how the believer experiences the divine within Islamic teachings. This is an expression that I believe is very appropriate to describe the spiritual exercises that are widespread and well known among the believers even if these believers have not received a deep theological formation in other words it addresses itself to the average si believer
1: non pas reçu une formation uh, théologique ou très poussée c'est ça s'adresse à tous les fidèles les les plus les plus simples One of the principal teachings of the Islamic religion is that there
0: is no God but God and that Muhammad is his prophet. This is a fundamental dogma of Islam. Islam is of course a form of monotheism like Christianity and like Judaism. Recognize today the importance of the contribution of Christianity and Judaism to humanism, to the liberal ideal, even later to the liberal constitutions of Europe in the 18th century, you claim for Islam an equal position in this contribution of monotheism. En
1: Europe du XVIIIe siècle, vous revendiquez pour l'islam une part égale dans cet apport monothéiste Justement
0: exactly. The, this the formula this that you just cited, uh, there is no divinity, divinity except God, and Muhammad and is the messenger of God, Ahmed is first of all the profession of, the, of faith profession through which one joins Man- the Muslim community, just as one must circumcise, Man- circumcise Man- to join the Jewish community, and one must be, be, be baptized, baptized to join the Christian community. The it is of equivalent and importance. Sa, 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 uh, importance equivalent. It's the first initiation. It's the entrance, it's the rite of passage, as an anthropologist would say. This formula is very important to comment upon. We must explain how at the same time, Islam is the spiritual continuation of all the prophetic teachings of the Bible and of Jesus, which are all integrated into the Quranic teachings. But at the same time, in Islamic practice and within the various theological schools, that arose in Islam, this continuation gave place to a separation in relation to those two religions. This is what we must try and explain because it is important in today's context. As you mentioned in your introduction, European public opinion perceives Islam as a completely foreign religion, foreign to European thought and culture, and foreign to what we call our values, our Western civilization, etc. But the history of these three religions show very well that the prophetic discourse, as it functions in the Qur'an in linguistic terms, is the same as the one we read in the Bible and in the Gospels. I emphasize the linguistic aspect. It is very important to insist on the linguistic element of religious discourse that we find in what we call scriptures Consequently, the formula that there is no divinity except God and Muhammad is his messenger is in reality a continuation of the prophetic function within Islam of what was known among Jews and Christians. We could have then developed a theology that conforms to this vision of continuity of the prophetic function. Unfortunately, and it would be lengthy to thoroughly explain the directions of the theologies of the three religions as they developed, after the appearance of Islam, and especially uh, when Islam became part of political empire, which means after 661, with the formation of the first dynasty in Damascus and later the great Abbasid dynasty in Baghdad. There is here the issue of empire, the issue of political power, and therefore the issue of constructing a Muslim theology in competition with the existing theologies, i.e., Christian theology and Jewish theology, which then themselves entered into a polemical battle with the new theology. So we must differentiate between what is said about God, the God that is said in the prophetic discourse, the one that we still read today in what we call scriptures on one hand, and on the other hand, the theological system that would come to provide an exegesis of these discourses in a way that is not only separated from the other, but exists in a state of competition and rivalry with that other
1: and this is true for other monotheisms.
0: Which is true of all religious systems because religious systems provide a foundation for political power. The two have mixed throughout history which would lead at one point to the experience that we know in Europe of the separation of the religious from the political. This only makes sense because of the tight link that has always existed between the religious and the political. This is an idea Idea that we need idea to what? stress to inform the Western public on the true locus of the separation, on the historical reasons uh, of this separation, but also, and we should not lose sight of it, on the locus of the root of a common question that we could have on the names of God. That is why I enthusiastically adhere to the spirit and to the conception of this program, and I really thank you for it, because I think that we have great need of such programs, precisely in Europe, this is an intellectual need, a scientific need, I am not preaching on behalf of religion,
1: you are not personalizing, absolutely not, quite the opposite,
0: I am battling to open a field of inquiry in exactly the same spirit of this program that is new on the European scene. And why do I say this is necessary at this moment of the evolution of Europe? Because the construction of Europe and the opening of a European field must not only be political and economic, it must absolutely be intellectual. And among the big debates that we have witnessed for a long while and that we will hopefully continue is the debate over what happened after the end in the 18th century of political theology as it was defined and lived within European society. In in contrast to all that was developed earlier in the name of God and within the space of religious knowledge, religious experiences, and experiences of the divine that were opened by the names of God. There is much to say about this. You mean the rise of secularism. Let's now move to the second chapter of this program and let's see what images of the 20th century you have retained for us. Sykes Pico map, March ninth, nineteen sixteen. Two diplomats, Frenchmen. George Pico and an Englishman, uh, Mark Sykes, reached a secret agreement dividing the Middle East. They themselves drew the zones of influence, some in red for Great Britain and the other in blue for France. Mohamed Arkoun, why did you choose this image as the most important one in the 20th century? It is because it represents an important historical moment in the relations between Europe and this Middle East in which exist many burning and still unresolved problems. This Middle East is obviously connected to the monotheistic traditions that we are discussing today. The historical study of the relations between Europe and the Middle East has ignored the cultural, religious, and intellectual dimension of the general history of thought, in the Mediterranean world. I want to illustrate the break that was introduced in this history by the intervention of a political hegemonic will that can take us back to the emergence of Islam itself, then forward to the Crusades, then to the conflicts between the Ottoman Empire and the European powers. The Sykes-Pico agreement is but an outcome in the early 20th century and in the midst of World War I of the rising hegemonic will of Europe which controlled the whole Mediterranean region, particularly the Middle East. This division was created by the dominant European powers designating the south and east of the Mediterranean world as Arab and Islamic and separating it from the north which represented Mediterranean Europe. In addition to the big political problems that this division has generated and from which we still suffer, it led to an intellectual and cultural division that has become a division within our own universities until today. For example, if you want to study the history of the relations between the Ottoman Empire and Europe. You have to go study the Ottoman and Arab side of this history with Orientalist experts, while the general history of Mediterranean Europe occurs in departments of history where history is studied comprehensively. There are similar partitions and similar borders within the universities in the study of the history of the monotheistic religions, of the theological systems that I mentioned earlier, and in the study of the history of philosophy and philosophical thought in the Mediterranean world. In other words, the sykes speaker agreements not only introduce the beginning of political borders that imprison us in all the difficulties we witness today, they also introduce or rather aggravate the border of an intellectual kind and a border of a cultural kind. Thus, today Islam is marginalized, situated elsewhere, and certainly not studied within an inclusive vision of the history of thought in the Mediterranean
1: world. Introduit non seulement le début d'une frontière politique qui va encore une fois nous mettre dans toutes les difficultés où nous sommes, mais elle introduit aussi ou elle aggrave une frontière de type intellectuel et de type culturel qui fait qu'aujourd'hui l'islam est marginalisé, il est posé ailleurs et non pas du tout. Dans une vision densemble de l'histoire de la pensée
0: dans le monde vous, So according to you, there is here an assault on a region that is highly symbolic, but an assault that turns back against Europe itself like a boomerang. Exactly. Europe has mutilated itself of a dimension of thought that it had nonetheless used with great dynamism in the twelfth and thirteenth centuries. Many of the philosophical and scientific works were then available in the Arabic language because Arabic was the language of culture and civilization, the intellectual language from the 7th to the 13th centuries in this Mediterranean world. The translations of these works to the Latin language were used by the Christian thinkers of Europe uh, at the Sorbonne, Oxford, Bologna, and uh, within other European universities. In other words, there was a path of thought starting from classical Greece and passing through Baghdad, passing through Ra'i, which is ancient uh, Tehran, passing through Cairo, passing through, Qayrawan, passing through Qayrawan, passing through Cordoba, passing through Fez, etc. There is a path of thought that gets broken by the will and the vision that took over Europe as a result of the hegemonic attitude that I mentioned earlier. This is perfectly symbolized by the secret psych-speaker agreements that divided zones of influence in the Middle East between France and Great Britain. In your opinion, is this division of the Middle East between the French and the British the result of the great European revolutions? Indeed, we can rethink history in this sense by correctly and openly asking the question that concerns what we call in the Francophone world laïcité, this elimination of political theology as it is called by historians of philosophy in comparison with what happened previously. It is clear that there are very deep dangerous misunderstandings today, and they are indeed misunderstandings. They are not real differ- differences in terms of intellectual production and in terms of the production of meaning for human existence. What separates us are historical lags resulting from the evolution of what Fernand Baudel called material civilization in Europe, starting from the 18th century. This material civilization has raised European societies by giving them hegemonic power as a result of the progress in science and technology etc but this is not due to an integration of the history of the metamorphoses of meaning going from the prophetic period that I mentioned earlier and continuing simultaneously with the path of prophetic discourse in the three scriptural traditions and with what we call Greek philosophical thought these two currents these two axes are constitutive of all thought in our European as well as Arab Islamic society These two axes continue to engage us today, and we see how the religious is resurgent, not in the form of an adequate interpretation that would be based on a comprehensive rather than shattered history. Instead, the religious is resurgent in the menacing form of ideology on both sides. Therefore, misunderstandings increase on both sides, and this is where intervention is necessary. We must intervene, Where our modes of perception and our modes of interpretation are forged concerning our respective histories and particularly around the issues of meaning before the end of political theology and after the end of political
1: theology et après la fin du théologico-politique. In your opinion, there is a similarity between what happened in this context
0: and the fall of the Berlin Wall. Indeed, in fact, I wanted to use two symbols to discuss the 20th century. First of all, the Sykes-Picot map and the divisions planned at Yalta are of the same ilk. The same actors were dividing the world and drawing the borders and creating the problems in which we are drowning today, with all the tragedies we have witnessed in Uh, former Yugoslavia and elsewhere in the world. As for Berlin, I wanted to say the following. The fall of the Berlin Wall is the result of an evolution in Western thought in the sense that Marx is a product of Western thought. Marx emerged in the 19th century from this material civilization that created capitalism on one side and the workers class on the other side. And that created all the exclusions that we know in European society. The Berlin Wall, at the time of its construction, shows the cleavage between two worlds within the heart of Europe itself in relation to how European thought functioned. The fall of the Berlin Wall shows an evolution of the same thought, but this time I ask the question of whether the fall of the wall will affect all the societies in the world. Will we all reflect on this new international order that has been discussed and that was promised to us, or will Europe again close on itself and continue to produce events like those of Sykes-Picot by perpetuating the hegemonic vision on the rest of the world? In In other words, the Berlin War must be seen as a symbol, opening a new page of history that is different from the one we have lived since the 19th century and in connection with the, the story, the with
1: the theme of our conversation today relation thème conversation
0: god becomes god when creatures say god meister
1: Mohammed Arkoun,
0: you surprised me with your choice. I expected that you would choose a great Arab or Muslim thinker. Surely you chose a great mystic, but a great German mystic of the 13th century. Exactly, and I did that on purpose. First, I wanted to show that Islamic thought was always open to the other. Islamic thought has had an interest in the other expressions of culture and of the divine, of course. Classical Islamic thought let itself be shaped by a big number of currents in addition to the one emanating from the Qur'an itself. In other words, I insist on re-establishing this pluralism of Islamic thought, a pluralism that allowed this thought to produce an authentic humanism centered at the same time on the human being and on human beings as they connect to the divine, to God through revelation. This is very important given that today Islam has a tendency to do otherwise in order to defend or protect itself as a result of all the dominations that Muslims faced ever since the 18th century. So I seek to re-establish Within the contemporary context, a more solidary history of Europe and the Muslim world, a common ground where men and women expressed themselves on the divine, as did Meister Eckhart. And I could have cited many Muslim thinkers, among whom is a great mystic by the name of Al-Hallaj, a man as important as Meister Eckhart. He lost his life and was executed after a resounding trial at the beginning of the 10th century in Baghdad because he developed and described his experience of the divine in esoteric terms and in poetic language. He ended up being condemned by the theologian jurists uh, for the phrase, uh, or I am the real, the truth. The word haq is a Quranic term that is extremely difficult to translate and which connotes what we call today truth, uh, right, reality. I also chose this phrase because within Islam, There is a whole theological current that we call the Mu'tazilites who insisted on the importance of language. What does Meister Eckhart tell us? He says that God becomes God when the creatures, i.e. human beings, say God, the verb to say. To say God is to put God in language. In other words, there is here a theological and philosophical dilemma of the utmost importance that is posed in the same fashion among Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Here is more common ground, an intellectual field that sends us back to the importance of language as a space in which meaning is constructed when i say god i propose meaning starting from the perception and experience that i can have of god and this experience and perception cannot occur without my reading of the prophetic discourse itself
1: therefore we are still working
0: with language
1: Que je propose du sens mm. à partir de la perception et de l'expérimentation que je peux avoir de Dieu, et cette expérimentation, cette perception, ne peut avoir lieu que par ma lecture mm. du discours prophétique lui-même. Donc, nous sommes toujours dans le langage. So Muhammad Arkoon, you wanted to put this quote of Meister Eckhart next to a verse of the Quran This is verse thirty-five of chapter
0: twenty-four.
1: Donoz allons, si vous voulez bien confier la lecture a notre ami Roland
0: God is the light of the heavens and the earth. The example of his light is like a niche within which is a lamp. The lamp is within a glass. The glass is as if it were a brilliant star kindled from a blessed tree. An olive neither of the East nor of the West, whose oil would almost glow even if untouched by fire. Light upon light, God guides to his light whom he wills, and God sets forth parables for the people, and God is knower of all things.
1: So what similarities exist, uh, according to you, between this verse and the phrase of
0: Meister Eckhart? This verse has allowed creatures, thanks to its rare symbolic and metaphorical richness, and there is great richness in symbols and metaphors about God using the concept of light. This way of saying God has engendered, engendered an almost infinite number of ways to say God by the faithful who find themselves while reading this verse projected into an esoteric vision of God, and therefore, say God, as Meister Eckhart writes. We have access to a large literature of this kind that we have yet to fully engage. And I would like to mention a work among the great works that we can study today and that engages us not only for religious reasons, but also to comprehend the functioning of creative human imagination as it emerges from these texts that say God. This is the work of the great Muslim mystic of Spain, Ibn Arabi, who was uh, contemporaneous with but younger than the famous Averroes ibn Rushd. Ibn Arabi left us an exceptional, monumental, and extremely rich legacy that is yet to be sufficiently engaged and that shows us a particular way to say God. Texts like the previous Quranic one act through an aesthetic sense, through the substance of their content, and through the experiences that they solicit from the audience.
1: Ce qu'engendre des textes comme celui-ci, qui encore une fois est un texte qui agit à la fois par l'esthétique de l'expression, par la substance du contenu de ce verset, et par les expériences qu'il sollicite de la part des auditeurs. This is what you call metaphor the metaphor of the olive tree.
0: Il y a, par exemple, dans ce verset, there is in this verse a magnificent metaphor that I always cite of an olive tree that is neither from the East nor from the West, says already the Qur'an, as if it was thinking of this East presented today as fixed, ideological, and polemical, and that is made into the opposite of that West that functions as the model for culture, civilization, and knowledge. The East is reduced to be in the place of regress, the place of backwardness in thought, culture, and development, terms that have become common in the way we speak about
1: this East.
0: In an article uh, in Le Monde of March 15, 1989, you wrote, Emerged from the philosophy of the Enlightenment, secular thought has marginalized the stock of symbols and signs from which we all drew in our Jewish, Christian, and Islamic traditions.
1: Exactly. This is what I have been
0: trying to explain today. You are citing a text from 1989, and it tells you that we still need to address an extremely large public public and to make this public participate within a pedagogical framework in discussing these essential problems. Many people are weaned within these cultures and these traditions, but these traditions cannot be approached anymore in a polemical fashion or taken as dogmatic theological systems that have functioned inside each community to legitimate wars in the Mediterranean world This time, they can be approached differently thanks to the intellectual context. This is the new context of liberty created by secularism. In my eyes, secularism, when understood correctly, is a useful attitude for the issue of knowledge, how to know, how to say meaning. And if we have meaning and know how to adequately communicate it within society, it would flow without conditioning the audience by the way we say that meaning. Here again, we find the concept of saying to say God is to say meaning,
1: Borobudur Dieu, dire le sens. Temple. The symbol that you brought to us comes from far away.
0: It's a Buddhist sanctuary uh, built in the year 800 in the Indonesian island of uh, Java. The Borobudur Temple was rediscovered in the beginning of the 19th century and was restored thanks to the collective efforts of UNESCO and the Indonesian government. The restoration took nearly 15 years and in 1983 this wonder was declared common heritage of mankind. It is a site of prayer and a site of pilgrimage, a pilgrimage that you have personally performed.
1: Yes indeed, uh, I am very happy to introduce
0: this site into our conversation, because Indonesia, as we all know, is a Muslim country. There are more than 180 million people in Indonesia, and there are more Muslims in Indonesia alone than in the totality of the Arab world. And in Indonesia, we find a very open and tolerant form of Islam. And as you said, on the eve of the independence of the country, the Indonesian government has encouraged the restoration of this great site that engages the whole of humanity. When I arrived at the site of Borobudur, I was with a large delegation representing the uh, Aga Khan Award for Architecture and studying Indonesian architecture. I was immediately taken by the spiritual, intellectual and aesthetic message that this site instantly
1: generates que <laughs>
0: love at first sight.
1: Love at first
0: sight, indeed. Uh, there are four entrances, one on each side. The pilgrim within the Buddhist tradition must enter on the east side and uh, start his ascension towards the light in the third level, the highest level. And when he gets up there, he must make a left so that on his right there are frescoes with a large number of statues that narrate the spiritual journey of the Buddhist towards what Buddhists also call the light. You see that we are still within the uh, symbol, the metaphor of the light. The
1: Buddhists also call the light. You see, we are always in the symbol, the metaphor.
0: It is an initiation in which we find rituals that are reminiscent of the Muslim ritual of the Hajj to Mecca, of the ritual of the Hindus around a consecrated fire, of the ritual of the stations of the cross that commemorate the passion of the Christ. You see here elements that have fashioned the ways of humanity towards what we would call meaning
1: les chemins de l'humanité vers ce que tous nous appelons le sens and every Muslim must perform the hajj. Did you perform it?
0: Yes, I performed it twice, but I performed it in this openness that we are discussing. I always insist on openness. I often use this term because the Muslim intellectual and spiritual experience is an experience of openness. And what is occurring currently is an apparent closing on the self resulting from the uh, pressures that Muslim society Societies have experienced since the 19th century. It corresponds to a defensive system for protection and not to a closing on the self that is inherent to the Islamic tradition. And again, in a country like Indonesia, contact between various religions is better than, than what we experience between the monotheistic religions because we have developed exclusionary uh, systems, because we uh, have lived next to each other, conflicting over the amis, same religious and religion symbolic heritage. Uh,
1: chez nous, nous, nous avons développé des systèmes d'exclusion parce que nous avons vécu trop les uns avec les autres en nous disputant justement le même patrimoine
0: religieux et symbolique.
1: To go back to what you were discussing previously,
0: uh, the Borobudur sanctuary is another way of saying God. Exactly, it is another manner of saying God. And one of the reasons for which I have chosen this symbol is to open a new space of intelligibility of the religious phenomenon. This space must be open to critical and scientific knowledge of the various religious traditions and be open to new questions using modern analytical tools within the perspective of a religious anthropology and at the same time ask ourselves about the validity of what we consider modernity to be. But without creating this break that many want to unfortunately create within human communities and cultures, this stance does not correspond to the notion of humanism, which is an important concept in all the traditions. The humanist experience is not the privilege of Europe. As it is often presented, I myself, when I prepared my doctoral thesis on Arab humanism in the tenth century, I faced challenges from my colleagues and from my committee members who argued that one could not speak within the Arab and Muslim context of humanism in the sense of the humanism that was created in Europe starting in the nineteenth in the sixteenth century. And there are some who still oppose the notion because we lack this openness to experiences that were developed in various cultures. And I cannot accept that a religion that produced something like Borobudur can be excluded from what we can call a humanist experience. Certainly, it expressed itself in different terms and with different modalities, but the project and the struggle for meaning is the same.
1: À partir du XVIe siècle, voilà où en sont les choses. Mm-hmm. Et il y a encore des, des opposants qui discutent là-dessus, parce que, justement, on n'a pas cette ouverture aux expériences développées dans différentes cultures. Et je ne peux pas concevoir que euh, une religion qui a produit une œuvre, comme Bouddour et beaucoup d'autres œuvres, mm-hmm. n'est-ce pas, puisse être exclue de ce que l'on peut appeler... Une expérience humaniste, bien sûr, elle s'est exprimée mm-hmm. différemment avec d'autres modalités, mais le projet et la lutte pour le sens est exactement mm-hmm. les
0: mêmes. So for la you, the Torah, the, the Gospels, Torah, the Quran the say God, the Quran and so do temples, the temple, churches, mosques. and mosques. Is it the same
1: God? Well, that is a different question.
0: It is precisely because this God is said by the creatures, as uh, Master Eckhart says, meaning by humans,
1: and that humans speak their language within different
0: cultural conditions and different historical conditions, then we have a different coding, a different semantic coding, a different semiotic coding, a different different semiological coding of this God that we might call the absolute, we might call transcendence, but I prefer to use the term meaning. And the problem that we face today is how human beings engender meaning in society and in history while going through the mediation of language. To say is to use language. It is to be within language. To inherit a language that was already utilized. This creates a challenge for us today. For centuries we considered meaning to be delivered from above by God that we received this meaning from god through authoritative voices and that we simply needed to learn what was revealed in this fashion and to make our thought and our actions compliant with what we could understand of this meaning so it is a radical revision of the question of the meaning of the human existence
1: conformer notre pensée conforming nos actions à ce que nous pouvons comprendre de ce sens qui est vous voyez c'est une révision radicale et fondamentale de la question du sens de l'existence
0: humaine. Thank you for listening. I leave you in peace. Assalam